Everybody joining me on the podcast today is Barry McKnight, voice of the Troy Trojans and co-host of the Budweiser Sports Line, 7 to 10 a.m. every day on Sports Radio 740 WMSP AM in Montgomery, Alabama. And Barry, uh, thanks for taking out the time and um, being on the podcast. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I have been for a while since you asked me, you know, if you, if you work hard enough and, uh, do enough in the business pretty soon they told me i'd get an opportunity like this so it's all paying off for me <laughs> well i appreciate the kind words uh, i have been looking for this as well uh i've done a little bit of i guess you know broadcasting i have been part of the dothan high broadcast the last two years uh so it, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting job you know going into broadcast booth and you know a lot goes into it to come out with a great broadcast yeah there's um there's always the perception, and I feel it, uh, that really people think that, you know, you just show up at the game site and grab a roster, grab a scorecard, whatever, and sit down and just go. And it's not. Uh, well, I suppose you could do it, but, you know, you, I, I don't think you'd sound very good. And it would be, it would be horrifying to me. I mean, I've had nightmares before. Uh, where all of a sudden, you know, here I am at a ball game and I don't know, I don't know any of the teams that are playing. I don't know numbers. I haven't memorized numbers or stats or, or anything like that. And you're just winging it. I probably could do it, but you know, there is a lot, as you, as you know, there's a lot that goes into it that, you know, people don't normally see and people don't normally take into account, but there is a bunch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from the start, uh, what made you want to get into broadcasting? Well, for me, it was kind of an interesting story. I had never, you know, really thought about it very much, except I was kind of always around it. When I was a little kid, I lived in Palm Bay, Florida, and we lived right across the streets from the big megaplex sports area. I guess every town has got one, and I lived, I mean, literally right across the street. And, you know, Palm Bay is near Orlando, and the weather is always great, and there's always youth leagues, ball games going on. And from the time I'm, gosh, I must have been nine or ten years old, I, I played. I played everything, and when I didn't play, they would let me go up into the little makeshift public address booth, and I would be the announcer. I'd announce, you know, the, the score and, you know, who's up to bat and pitching changes and all that when I was ten years old. And I got paid in snow cones. And I thought, boy, this is the best thing in the world, uh, other than actually, you know, playing this for a living. And you know, my sister and I, we used to have a little radio call-in thing we did once a week on the local radio station in Melbourne, Florida, just talking about school events and stuff like that. So i kind of always been around it. But when I was in college, I, um, I was going to school, and I had an accident in college, and I, I broke my right leg really badly. And I had to take a year off from school. I just couldn't get to my classes. I had a hip cast on and everything. And I wanted to earn some money. And really the only way I could, the only way I could come up with, with a big old cast on my leg, was to work at a radio station. There was one in Fort Walden Beach where I was um, where I was spending my off time. And so I applied there and I worked the overnight shift with a big old cast on my leg way back in the day when you spun records and you covered the council meetings and stuff like that and when i was ready to go back to school um i applied at the local commercial radio station in auburn and 
while I was going to school. I never took a broadcasting class, but when I was going to school, I worked at the commercial radio station and did weekends and nights and covered city council meetings and, you know, broadcast the obituaries. And it was great training. I did all of that just because they would let me every once in a while broadcast an Auburn baseball game or broadcast a high school football game. And the more I did, the more opportunities I've got. And it really kind of has all gone from there, from that point. Oh, and, uh, you know, growing up, you said, you know, you, you would do, you know, games and, you know, the snow, get for the snow cone and everything. <laughs> was there was there an, a broadcast or announcer that uh, influenced you growing up? Well, when I was growing up, there were there were two. Uh, when I grew up, and I started school at the University of Florida, uh, and I transferred to Auburn, um, and my whole family was Gators. And I remember growing up, Florida had a broadcaster, and I mean, he was obscure as all get out now, but his name was Otis Boggs. And I listened to him, and he did Florida football for about 30-something years, uh, all the time I was growing up. And I thought, what a fine thing that must be to be able to get to go to all the Florida games and broadcast you know, football and basketball and get paid to do it. Living where I lived in central Florida, we were about 20 miles away from uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers spring training facility in Vero Beach. And my father, who was a salesman, he had an account at Dodgertown that he serviced himself. And, and I'd get to go to the games in spring training, and I'd get to go into the into the locker rooms and, and stuff and got to meet all the old Dodger stars or a lot of them anyway. I've got my picture taken with Don Sutton and with Walter Alston. And to me, the absolute best job in the history of the world ever would have been to have been the Dodgers broadcaster at the time it was Vin Scully. And to this day, you know, and this is 40 years later, to this day, Vin Scully still, I think, is the finest sports broadcaster that we've ever had among us and there's one time when i was at a dodger game and i i saw him i was very little and i was with my grandmother and she walked right up to him and said well you're vin scully and he turned to her he looked immaculate he had on a white suit and he said why yes i am and of course i was way too bashful to actually say anything to him myself i probably would have fainted at that point but i've <laughs> kind of held that ever since if i if 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 I could ever say that anybody really kind of got me thinking at least about this as a career, it would have been old Otis Boggs, the voice of the Gators, and Vin Scully, who for 60-something years was the voice of the Dodgers. Yeah, for me, I guess for me wanting to do it is I uh, was a big Auburn fan as a kid, so Jim Fife was, you know, I'm sure the Alabama fans, anybody listen to this are getting upset with me right now. <laughs> but uh, Well, I can, I, can, uh, I, can, I can reinforce that as um, you mentioned when you introduced me that I, I work at Sports Radio 740 in Montgomery, which was Jim's radio station. Jim worked uh, for that for our group of stations for twenty something years. And whenever I, you know, I'd, I'd worked in Auburn for a while after I graduated, and then I took my current job twenty one years ago in um, at Jim's radio station, and for six or seven years before he passed, um, boy, I, I took notes at Jim's knee almost. I mean, he he taught me so much about, you know, how to pace yourself, what to look for, always to save a little something in your broadcast, 
for the big moments. Uh, you know, these other people that you and I have been talking about certainly got me on that track. But there are several of us out there in the broadcast world in this area, myself, Rod Bramlett, who also worked at my station with me in Auburn, that are really just you know, owe so much to Jim and to the example that he set. I, I thoroughly understand where you're coming from when you said that he was an idol of yours, because he really taught me more than I could ever have learned in, in, in college or any broadcasting class. Yeah, and for me, and even for me, I mean, I know it's changed a lot. I mean, now all the games are on television, you know, especially, you know, we look at maybe the Auburn, Alabama, and in Troy, you can, you know, watch them on the uh, ESPN app mm-hmm. now. But for me, just the uh, fascination I have with the radio broadcast, because I grew up at a time where maybe only half the games were on television. So, you know, you had to rely mm-hmm. on that radio broadcast, and the great broadcasters, and I've listened to your broadcast, you do this as well, painting the picture it makes you feel like the listener feels like they are in the stadium watching the game as they're listening to it on the radio well one of the secrets that jim sort of taught me and and reinforced with me was when you're there and of course for instance let's take last year when troy was at lsu and there were 80 something thousand fans well at least until halftime, anyway. They were 80-something <laughs> thousand fans. It's a big broadcast. It's a full ESPN production. You know, we have been looking forward to this game for a while. And and with all of that, with the great grand scope of the whole thing, Jim always taught me, pretend like you're broadcasting to just one person. And pretend like you're talking to that person who cannot see the game. And for a long time, you know, that person in my life has changed. You know, for a while, it was my son, Jack, who went to so many games with me. Uh, for a while, it was my brother, Mike, who is a uh, sports writer at, for Sports Illustrated out in Los Angeles, as big a sports fan as I am, obviously. And lately, it's been my wife, who, you know, is just a huge toy fan. But to, to really focus yourself and focus your broadcast, don't try to be all things to everybody. Just focus on one person who's not seeing the game. Pretend like you're talking to them and make sure that you hit all the details. You you fill in all the cracks of what they want to know. And it does tend to make it a whole lot a whole lot easier and hopefully a lot more streamlined. And yeah, you brought up the L S U game from last season, one of the biggest moments, you know, in Troy football history. <laughs> uh, uh for you uh, is there, I mean, and not put you on the spot here, but is there a moment or as you've been calling these Troy games that really stands out to you? In the, in the LSU game specifically, there were two. One of them was early in the third quarter. And remember, Troy was leading at halftime. Uh, they had just kicked a big field goal right before half and Troy led it 10 to nothing. You wondered, you know, during the halftime break, we were talking, okay, you know, this is what we need to reinforce in the second half or try to get this done. And one of the first things we thought about, and I'm sure you've done it as well uh, with your work, is you want to get off to a good start in the second half. Well, if you remember, the first drive of the second half, Jordan Chun rips off a 74-yard one, gets it all the way to the one-yard line, and then punches it into place later. And you thought, well, this could happen now. I mean, there's been a lot of teams that have been up 10 points on the LSU of the world had enough wherewithal to close the deal but you score big play first time in half 
he rips off that big one. He say, okay, now, now it's attainable. Now it's plausible. And, of course, at the very end, when LSU had the ball at the very last minute and they had climbed to within 24 to 21, they had time but no timeouts. And you knew they were going to work the sidelines trying to get up field to, to get the field goal to tie and send it to overtime. And then Blaze Brown intercepts the ball with a couple of seconds to go. And it was all organic for me. You know, we had been focused so much on the broadcast of, you know, not losing focus, not losing, you know, the the edge, you know, forgetting to, to call the game in our excitement. But when he when he made the interception and Troy was going to win the game, they, all they had to do was take one more snap. I I, I said, God bless you, Blaze Brown. You know, <laughs> and I don't know why invoking the name of our Almighty was the first thing that came to mind. But um, you know, I've heard so many people tell me about it. Blaze has told me himself. He says everywhere he goes, people always tell him, "God bless you, Blaze Brown." <laughs> and I said, "Well, that, that's on me." But you know, those were the two moments, the highlights there. Uh, for me for that game. But overall, you know, it's been such a great run with Troy. Before I worked with Troy, I did a lot of television on a regional cable network all over the Southeast. I did a lot of SEC. I did a lot of uh, Atlantic Sun Conference and Sunbelt Conference sports, all different kinds of sports. Um, And, you know, I was there when Auburn won the SEC championship. I called it on television in 2000. I did an Auburn SEC championship game in 2000. Uh, you know, I've done uh, super regionals. I've done I've done a lot of stuff, and I've been blessed to do so. But really, the high points have all really come with with Troy. And you know, I, you sit there and you think about it. My gosh, some of my friends who broadcast in the SEC have never been to. Ohio State. They've never had the opportunity to go to Nebraska. They've never gone to Minnesota or Virginia or all of the great places that I've had a chance to go to with Troy and and seen those places and called those games. So much of what I of what I have done has been as a good news broadcaster. You know, it's a whole lot better when Troy's winning and winning championships and they've won them in the last several years in baseball, women's basketball, which I call on occasion on TV, men's basketball and football. And there are just so many of them that I'm, I'm thankful I could through the entire time with Troy to be a real high point in my career. You know, in a forward transition over to the upcoming season for Troy Trojans, I have to ask, uh, what are the origins of the touchdown men of Troy? Well, you know, when I first started, and my first real exposure with Troy was back when they were Troy State, and for two years, I did the television play-by-play for the home games, uh, back when they were in the old Southland Football League. And then um, when they made the change and I, I got to do radio, I wasn't exactly looking for a, a trademark call or, or anything like that. For the first two years I did it on radio, did the games on radio, it was Troy State. And then, you know, they went to Troy, which I thought was a, was a, was a wonderful marketing move. And, but yet some people still called Troy, Troy State. That still kind of lingered a little bit. And I was thinking of something to accent Troy, just simply Troy. And I was, I was, I'm not sure exactly if I can remember back to the origin when it came to mind, but it was again another organic thing where the first game of the season, the first touchdown, 
and I called them the men of Troy. I had called them the men of Troy earlier in the broadcast, just, you know, the men of Troy need to get a first down here or something like that. And then when, when it came to touchdown men of Troy, I kind of liked the cadence of it. Um, we got a good reaction from Jerry, my color analyst, and from our, actually, um, our, one of our, um, advertisers was sitting in the booth and he thought that sounded nice. And so, um, so I've kept on ever since. As a matter of fact, if you ever see my car, uh, in Troy, the license plate says T D M O T on the back. <laughs> it was a father's day present from my, my son. And it stands for touchdown men of Troy. Wow, that's that's cool. That's uh, that's pretty cool there. Um, and you look at this, you know, upcoming season for Troy. You know, and it's something I've always, uh, I don't know the right word here. Just it, it's been impressive for Troy. I mean, is stability a quarterback? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you had pretty much it seemed like eight years of just two quarterbacks: Corey Robinson first, and then of course Brandon Silvers was pretty much quarterback for four years in a row. So Troy is coming right. into the season almost uncharted territory where they don't know who the signal caller is going to be. Well, I remember when Corey Robinson, if we can start with him, I remember whenever, um, you know, the year after Levi Brown graduated and, you know, he was the Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year. And the big question during the offseason was who's going to replace him. We knew Corey Robinson had unbelievable numbers in high school up in Kentucky, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were some, there were some, there were some competitors for that job. It was not clear cut Corey Robinson. And I remember before the very first game that he, that he played, he was a redshirt freshman. Um, I'm our booth is exactly next to the coach's booth. And I looked over to our, um, quarterbacks or our play caller back then as a guy named Kenny Edenfield, who's now in South Alabama, great friend of mine. And I, I looked over at him before the game and they still hadn't told me anything. And I looked over at him and he looked left and he looked right. And then he flashed the number six to me, which was Corey Robinson's number. And ever since then, you know, with some help from Dion Anthony during the, that run, I mean, it was Corey's job. And then when Corey graduated, when Dion graduated, everybody was wondering, you know, who's going to be the quarterback? You thought it would be Silvers, but again, you never know. And then he came on, and of course, there were some, there were some lean times in his first couple of years, and he grew into that job, and he, you know, by the time he left, he was, you know, two-time All-In-All Sunbelt Conference and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So now we're at that same point. Is it going to be Caleb Barker, who's a junior now? Is it going to be Sawyer Smith, who redshirted last year as a redshirt sophomore? Um, either one of those guys could do it. Either one of those guys could do it well. But you just don't know. The good thing is is that they both are younger, that they both have been in the system for a couple of years. And the other really good things about it is, number one, they've got weapons. It's not going to be Caleb Barker expected to carry the offense or Sawyer Smith expected to carry the offense. They've got, I think, the best offensive line in the Sun Belt Conference to block for them. They've got loads of weapons at running back and wide receivers. So there's not going to be as much pressure, I'm sure, as Corey Robinson faced in his first game or Brandon Silvers faced in his first. But it is against Boise State, and it is going to be, you know, nationally televised, and it is at a newly renovated stadium. So I'm not saying it's not important because it's critically important for Troy to win that game. 
I'm just saying it doesn't have to be Caleb Barker or Sawyer Smith tasked with the responsibility of winning it all by themselves. Yeah, and you know, you, you look at the backfield as a whole. You know, most I think programs you lose a running back of the quality of, of Jordan Chun, you're like, whoa, you know, we're in trouble here. But I look at the talent, and one that sticks out to me is Jameer's Henderson. What he's able to do, the electricity he can bring to the offense and help out them quarterbacks. Well, there's a couple of names besides the quarterbacks that I think are going to be keys to the season. Bear in mind, not only do you lose Chun. But you lose Josh Anderson as well, who was terrific in the bowl game, just a really steady, big back that could lean on opposing defenses and salt the games away at the very end, which, you know, is a, is a major, major bonus. Jamarius has more wiggle than either of those two guys. He certainly has more explosiveness than either two of them, but he has never been the man before at Troy. He does have some help as well. I, I really like B.J. Smith who's been there for a couple of years, catches the ball really well out of the backfield. There's a couple of young players that I think could, um, younger players that I think could come in. But yeah, if, if you're asking me about critical pieces to the offense other than the quarterback, Jamarius Henderson, I think, is one. And the other one is going to be the new left tackle. It should be a redshirt freshman. At least he's tops on the depth chart. A redshirt freshman named Austin Stidham. If he can nail down that left tackle position, that really just sets up the entire offensive line in front of the young quarterback very, very well. Yeah, and you mentioned the matchup with Boise, which I'm planning on being uh, in the stadium for that Good. one. That one is uh, I am excited to see because uh, one, I think these are you know not just you know people look at non-power five, just college football altogether. These are two of the best run programs I think in college football. But Troy defense, I think it's going to have a little challenge in this one. Uh, great defense, one of the best red zone defenses last season. Uh, Boise State brings in a good quarterback in Brett Rippon. He's a four-year starter, uh, 30 and 10 overall as a starter, 63% completion percentage in his career, 60 touchdown passes, averaged over 3,000 mm-hmm. yards. So that great Troy defense is going to be tested. We handled Rippon well last year up there. Boise State won the game. Rippon was not that effective. They had to bring in another guy, Montreal Cozart, who was not there anymore. Um, but Rippon... Rippon can be defensed, particularly if you pressure him, and I think Troy has got some really good um, rush guys on the edge, most notably Hunter Reese. Uh, but the thing that really sticks out of my mind about the performance last year was the special teams. We didn't cover kicks well. We didn't cover punts well. They had great field position all game long. The offense for Troy didn't play very well last year in that game. If it wasn't for a pick six by Blaze Brown, Troy wouldn't have even – been within shouting distance in that game special teams is going to be a key controlling ripping is going to be a key boise's defense is outstanding and you can bet they're going to try to rattle whoever the troy quarterback is but i I do think troy has more big strike capability than boise state i also think this i also think that the crowd can make a big difference in this one Mm -hmm. it's hot it'll be hot in september even though it's a 5 30 start it'll be hot uh, it'll be a new stadium. There shouldn't be a seat empty in the whole place. And, you know, from Boise to Troy, figured this last year, it's a long way. It's a long way mm-hmm. from Troy to Boise last year. That certainly played something into it. I, I think the fact that it is at home, that Troy, I think, cannot help but play better in special teams than they did against the Broncos last year, and the fact that Troy 
needs big plays. They need at least two in that game. They certainly have the possibility of, of, of explosive offense. They definitely need that on September 1st. Definitely, definitely. Like I said, it is one of the, I think it should be one of the most anticipated matches for any college football yeah. fan to check out on, on that opening weekend. And, uh, and lastly, uh, before I let you go, you know, kind of circle it back to just broadcasting overall. If there's anybody listening to this that's interested in, uh, you know, getting into broadcasting, you know, into the business, uh, what's some advice you could give? Well, the, the easiest thing, and again, like I told you, I never took a broadcasting class before. I just sort of happened into it. I've got a degree in English literature and a degree in political science, which, you know, helped me out not at all. But I always worked in the field. I've always wondered, you know, whether I would have gotten a, a head start if I had taken broadcasting classes. But I can speak specifically about Troy. Um, they have a wonderful radio TV film curriculum at Troy. And the thing I like most about it, and we try our best as a radio crew to support it, is that they give you real-time experience. The books are okay, you know, the, the, the labs and all that are okay, but I've always said the best way to, to learn the craft is to do it, and do it again and do it some more, over and over and over again. And if you talk to any of my friends in the business, the Rod Bramlets, the Eli Golds, the Chris Stewarts, uh, you know, the, you know, the J.D. Byers down at South Alabama, they'll always tell you that the, one of the keys when you get that opportunity is to do as much work in it as you can. It, I very rarely ever turned anything down just because I wanted the experience and wanted to work. And you have to also record yourself and listen to yourself. And that's painful for all of us mm-hmm. because <laughs> you sit there and you think, boy, that was, that was a dumb thing to say. Why did I say that? Well, why didn't I, why didn't I mention the yard line on that particular call? Or why didn't I mention what defense they were in when that guy hit the shot? You know, because you're your own worst enemy. But my, my main thing is, is to get into it. You know, if, if I, I know that there are opportunities, you know, here in Dothan, there's certainly opportunities in Troy. There's opportunities anywhere. Get involved with your local school, even if you're just a high school student. Get involved in there. I'm sure they'd appreciate the help. There, there's nothing more valuable in this business, especially, than experience. And, you know, it's the way the business is, and you touched on a little bit more, there's more opportunities in television sports casting there's loads of opportunity in sports talk radio which i've done for 21 years there's more radio opportunities when i got started uh if you're going to do play-by-play at least starting out it was going to be radio now you've got you know online television broadcasts of high school athletics all over the place get involved in those there are so many more opportunities now just to get involved in it than there ever were whenever I first got started. Yeah, and, and I agree with you 100% on listening to yourself because I have to do this after <laughs> I record this podcast. I have to go back and listen to myself, and I get tired of my southern accent. <laughs> well, well, you know, there's just so much that, that, that you beat yourself up about. Oh, why did mm-hmm. I do that? But there's also things, if you listen closely and you listen, you know, um, fairly to yourself, you also, it's very important to make sure that you that you notate what you're doing right, what you like, and what works. And as you go back and listen to this podcast, 
there's a lot to like about the way you've handled it. I've really enjoyed it so much. I'm, I'm not sure there's anything you can go back and and uh, make a red check mark on because, I mean, this whole thing has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate you asking me. Oh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun on, on my end of it, too, and I really appreciate you taking the time once again uh, coming on the show and talking broadcasting in Troy football. And if the listeners want to follow you online, uh, where can they find you? Well, you can always on social media. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to listen to the Troy broadcasts online, of course, we have a wonderful affiliate here in Dothan. But if you want to listen to our work online, it's troytrojans.com. I'll always tweet out or, or Facebook a link to all of our broadcasts. And if you want to listen to my morning show, it's 7 to 10 in the morning every weekday morning in Montgomery. That's easy as well. It's online at sportsradio740.com. All right, sounds good. And uh, like I said, Barry, this was a lot of fun. And I uh, hope maybe sometime down the road we can do this again. I would look forward to it. Thanks so much for asking.